Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Luke 1, 1 through 25. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Luke in your Bible. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as priest before God, and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sam. Well, uh, we're at a beginning of sorts. I suppose it's the it's the new calendar year for the well for the church not the church like administratively but uh, for kind of the liturgical calendar what we follow uh, the beginning of the year starts with with Advent and it, it's the story of God that goes all the way from Advent until Pentecost in uh, in the springtime and so we tell the story every year and um, there's a, there's a good reason we tell it because it's really the only story that we have. Um, if you get tired of hearing about the Christmas story, 
uh, from, from Luke's gospel or any of the other ones, uh, well, I'm sorry, it's just going to be how it is uh, every year because that's kind of, Jesus is kind of important. Uh, but to, I think to understand this story, though, and, and where it's heading, we have, to, we have to go way, way, way far back. Uh, so far back, I think it's like the beginning of the book. Not, not the book of Luke, but the, the Bible as it is altogether. Uh, one of the things that the Bible uh, confesses, it testifies to right off the bat, is that in the beginning, God created. I spoke the world into existence, and, and night and day came about, and light and dark and earth and water and creepy crawly things and things on the land and vegetation and all these things. God speaks into creation, and it's good. It's very good. It begins to grow and to flourish and, and become what God is wanting it to become. Uh, we get to the sixth day, and, and God speaks man into existence, humanity. Uh, creates Adam and then creates Eve, and he steps back and says, it is very, very good. Uh, and Adam and Eve are to, well, they're to flourish as well. They're, they're to, to go forth, and one of the things that we, we see a couple times in this part of the story is God's commandment to go and be fruitful and multiply. To be fruitful and multiply. I, I can only imagine that this means, uh, well, to, to create more like themselves, as, as they will, as, as we do as humans, but to, to tend to the creation and to make it flourish as well. Um, but the story doesn't stay really, really good for very long, right? Um, this, Serpent comes along and entices Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and, and everything breaks. Uh, our relationship with each other breaks. Our relationship with God breaks. Our, our relationship with the, the world breaks, and things just start getting bad. And, and being fruitful and multiplying becomes just a little bit harder. We keep going through the story, though, and, and by the time we get to uh, a little bit later in Genesis, we get to the, to the Noah story. You guys remember this story? Noah, the ark, and collect all these animals? Because, because humanity and creation had, well, it had, become, it had become barren, I think. Unable to flourish and to be fruitful and multiply in the way that God created it to be. And this brokenness just was pervasive and all over the place. And so God decides to kind of wipe the table and start over with Noah. And there's, if you want to have a conversation about that story, I would love to sit down and have a conversation with you about that story. But we can't get into it today. After all of that thing, after, after the waters recede and, and Noah and his family disembark from the, from the ark, God tells them to go forth and be fruitful and multiply. It's the, same, it's the same command that God gives Adam and Eve to, to go and flourish as, as people and to go back into this world and, and to see to its flourishing as well. Well, uh, rinse and repeat, I suppose. Uh, creation, humanity, has a hard time. Actually, Noah's not too far out of the ark before he gets himself into trouble too. Uh, and the brokenness and the barrenness that, that characterizes the world before the flood continues to happen. And yet, and yet, like we sang, God is faithful. And God's faithfulness, God hasn't given up completely on, uh, on the world and its, and its brokenness and its barrenness. Uh, 
God enacts a story, and, and today we tell part of that story in the birth, or at least the foretelling of, of John's birth. But I think if we look at the Old Testament, we'll see that, that barrenness is just all over the place. And, and I, think, um, I think there are maybe two types of barrenness that we might talk about. There's the normal type of, of Zechariah and Elizabeth in this story where they're unable to have children. Uh, I think there's other forms of physical barrenness where your body is just broken continually and you, you can't do all of the things that you're supposed to do. And you're unable to flourish in the kinds of way that God has created you to flourish. Uh, but I think there's a second type of barrenness. And we're going to maybe call this existential barrenness. <laughs> uh, and I think you, you, we experience this more and maybe more commonly than we experience the physical barrenness. Uh, it is in the very air that we breathe. It is despair and hopelessness and darkness. In the adult Bible study, we, we talked about this, and I, the very first question was about barrenness. And we spent probably half of the time naming all of the ways in which we experience this second type of barrenness in the world. That you walk through the halls of the middle school and you can, you can feel it and see it on the faces of students. Uh, it's in family dynamics, and it's in uh, cycles of addiction, and it's in all of these kinds of things. Barrenness seems to not have gone away, and yet God's desire for creation, for you and I, is that we go forth and be fruitful and multiply, uh, that we flourish as people and flourish as a world, and that's my new favorite word, by the way, Flourish. I get favorite words every once in a while. You'll get used to it. And, and yet, we're, well, that's God's intention. And God and God's faithfulness has not given up on that. Now, you might say this is a particularly dark place to start the season of, of Advent, of Christmas time, of lights and trees and presents and all of those things. And I. Yeah, that might be, but I think we start Advent in barrenness uh, because that's where we are, uh, because that's where the world is, and, and we are waiting, we are waiting for the light of Christ to come into the world to undo finally and fully all of that brokenness. We start here, um, I think, because we know the end of the story, right? Uh, we start here because I think Advent says to the barrenness that's in the world, you will not be the final voice. Your storyline that has reigned for so long will finally and fully come to an end, and the world as God created it will, will be as God created it in the beginning. And brokenness and sadness and despair and darkness will be done away with. Well, our first characters... Um, start with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah belongs to a, a priestly family. He's a descendant of Aaron, who is, uh, I almost said Noah, Moses's, can't get those mixed up, Moses's brother. And, and you know Moses from the, from the Exodus and giving of law. And Aaron becomes kind of the priestly 
family part of that. And so um, there would have been lots of these guys. And so they wouldn't have served at the temple all of the time. They would have done so on a rotational basis. And so Zechariah, who's, who's old, comes to Jerusalem to fulfill his priestly duties. And while he is there, he gets chosen to go into the inner sanctuary of the temple and to offer uh, an incense offering for the people. And so he goes in and he does his job. And while he is in there, uh, all of a sudden, he's doing his job. He's praying. The people are outside praying, doing all the religious things. And an angel shows up to him, just poof, out of nowhere. And Luke tells us that he is uh, afraid and overwhelmed by fear. Now, I ask you to put yourself in Zachariah's uh, position, right? Uh, how would you feel if you were you know, just doing your job and all of a sudden an angel showed up? I think I would be terrified too. Uh, right off the bat, though, we have to recognize that, that what's happening here is not, uh, it's not something new or different, but that there's a continuity between everything that God has done in the Old Testament that Luke is showing us that this new part of the story that's coming uh, is intimately connected with what's gone before. And, and there have been times over and again in the Old Testament where an angel has appeared to someone uh, to, to tell them that something's going to happen or they're going to be part of God's work in the world, God's salvation for, for Israel. And so along with all of those things, uh, we're clued into the fact that something big is going to happen. Well, um, Zechariah in his fear um, hears these words from the angel. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will soon bear you a son, and he will name you, you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his at his birth, for the Lord, or for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Uh, I, I, wonder, I wonder how much Zechariah really heard after the, uh, uh, your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will name him John. Like We, we failed to mention that, that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth are old. I have a mental picture in my mind of how old they are. It may not be that way. Life expense, you know, I picture Faye. Uh, Come on, laugh. Smile for me. (laughs) Good night. Uh, I mean that in the greatest amount of respect. I I think if I were Zachariah, I would have been like, I would have gotten caught up on that. Uh, not, Not just the fact that like this angel shows up and speaks to me, but, but the fact that like I've, I've lived all of this time and I am it's something that me and my wife have hoped for for a long, long time and now it's going to happen. Now it's going to happen. Uh, we go on. And uh, now uh, throughout the Old Testament, we have these kinds of stories too, where an angel pronounces that someone's going to have a son. Uh, and we, they tell them what they're going to do. And, and so, again, uh, Zachariah is beginning to put some pieces together, but the fact that this, this kid that he's going to have is going to be someone, someone special. Uh, if we're in Zachariah's shoes, though, um, he's a smart guy, and, and Luke tells us that him and uh, Elizabeth are righteous. Uh, they knew this story, and, and so they began, he began probably to understand that... Uh, what, what, this is significant. Something big is about to happen. 
what exactly is he going to be? What exactly is he going to be? And so we find out in verse 16. He will, turn the, uh, he will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient uh, to the wisdom of righteousness, righteousness, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Israel had been hoping for a long time that their situation they were in a situation of barrenness, let's say, where they are, well, they're, they're ruled by the Romans. They're, they are not their own. Uh, they don't have control over their own land. Things are okay, but it's not really, really great, and they've been longing for God to send a Messiah for a long time. And so anybody who had been reading this, Luke's audience, and, and Zechariah himself would have understood that uh, my son is going to be the one who prepares the way. Like this Messiah is about to come and, and God is going to act again in our place and restore Israel to what, what it once was, what it should be. So there grows this sense of, of hope uh, that the brokenness that they were experiencing would not persist. Well, um, Zechariah, he's hearing all this, I'm sure. Maybe, maybe he's hearing it. Uh, maybe it's going in, he's kind of cognitively knowing what's happening because he knows the scriptures, and, but he's still hung up on the fact that he's going to have a kid, right? And so he responds. Uh, his response is not, yay, <laughs> like, good deal. Uh, Israel's going to get a Messiah, not to, I mean, like, bigger than that, but he responds with this. How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years probably smart he didn't call his wife old. He's, he's like questioning. He, here's what I think happened. I think he's been so caught up in living in his own kind of frame of reference, uh, his own experience of the way the world is, and he knows what to expect out of that world, and he knows what not to expect I imagine if you're old and you've been wanting to have a child for a long time that you've kind of given up on that hope and, and that even if someone says that you're going to be able to have a, a kid that maybe, maybe that doesn't, maybe that doesn't stir the hope in you. I don't know. Maybe it's beyond his imagination to be able to, to see a future where God actually works in his life to undo that particular amount of barrenness. I think... I think Zechariah has a failure of imagination, a hopeful imagination, one that believes that God in God's power and greatness, in, in the greatness and power that spoke the world into existence, that that God would be able to undo something as trivial as an old couple. That's not trivial, by the way. As older couple not being able to have kids. He lacks the imagination to see the possibility of God acting to bring about life. The angel responds, and I think this is great. I am Gabriel. Like that would have meant something to them too. Uh, I am Gabriel, like period. 
You should know this. I, this, this is, and then the next line, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. Like, look, buddy. Do you know who I am? Do you know where I, I normally go and who I normally see? Like, God and I, we're, we're chummy. We're first name basis. Do you know who I am? I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to bring to you good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will be mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Uh, we, we kicked around why, why this was the case. And I don't know that I have a great answer as to why Zechariah can't speak. Uh, maybe because in his lack of imagination, maybe he tells of this good news and, and I don't know, sows disbelief that it's going to happen. Sows disbelief about the one who's going to come to prepare the way for the Messiah, the one who's going to bring about salvation for Israel. I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's what, what that is. Well, regardless, he's unable to speak. And so he, he finishes up his time and, uh, and he goes out and they're like, what happened? What took you so long? Because he was a really, really long time in coming out and, and he's like trying to communicate them but he doesn't have sign language and maybe, well, writing wasn't something you did a whole lot of, just kind of out and about. So he's trying to communicate what happens and they just... They understand. They realize that something has happened inside there, and there's a sense of, of expectation to be able to find out what it is. Well, Zachariah goes home, and uh, as things happen, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And uh, the story, the Advent story, the Christmas story, the story of Jesus begins in earnest. And in response to that, Elizabeth said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away this disgrace I have endured among my people. Uh, Contrast that with Zachariah's response. I think whenever God comes to us and even the smallest thing, even the promise of the smallest thing should be met with ah, praise and thanks. I think maybe, and maybe it's because she's already pregnant. I don't know. Maybe Elizabeth's imagination is just a little bit better than Zachariah's. Maybe Elizabeth's faith is just a little bit stronger than Zachariah's. We start Advent, I think, in the same place as Zachariah and Elizabeth in a world where there is brokenness and barrenness. Uh, in body and in spirit, where we, we walk around and it's all we can see is the, the death and the fear and the hatred and the animosity and all of those things. And I wonder, I wonder if our temptation during this season will not be to well, will be to respond to the promise of good news in the same way that Zechariah responded. That we might say 
to this proclamation that Christ has come and Christ is coming to get, again to make all things whole and right again, that we might say in the face of that, but how will I know? What's going to be the sign? I think we, we get so caught up in this that our imagination our, our, is just, it's, it's stunted and our ability to see that God might act in this world through you and me and through the people around us that the, the brokenness and the death that is here might be undone. It's what we're called to do, by the way, uh, to love God and to love others. And I'm completely convinced that love is what undoes broken barrenness. Um, I, I, I realize this is hard because y- you may only be able to sit there and see, how will I know? My family's a mess. How will I know? I've got cancer. How will I know all I see on the news is anger and hatred. How will I know I'm, I'm just ah, mentally a wreck? I think that's our temptation. But in the midst of that, we confess that good news is coming. That the world in its darkness and its brokenness and its barrenness is not the way the world is going to stay. That the God who created everything to flourish and be good, who spoke and said it was good and looked at us and said it was very, very good, will act again so that that world, so that you and I will be able to flourish in the way that we were intended to. So my prayer for us today, for the next four weeks, is that we might allow God to work in our imaginations. That we may have truly a hopeful imagination. That we might be able to see the world a little bit differently and see the possibilities where God might be able to act through you and through me, through us as a church. We're going to pray in a second. And then we're going to receive the Lord's Supper as, as we've been doing. And um, I don't think we need a lot of time to pray that prayer. Lord, help me to have the imagination to see what you're doing, what you want to do. Uh, but after we get done with the, the words we say, and as you're filing down the middle to, to receive that little bit of bread and juice, which, by the way, is a sign for you that God's going to restore the world. Literally, it's God's sign to us. It is the brokenness of his body and his blood, which is given in faithfulness for us and our salvation, for the restoration of the world. As you're in line, pray that prayer. Lord, help me to have a hopeful imagination to see what you want to do in our world, to undo the brokenness, and to regain the flourishing that you intended in the beginning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, 
we confess that it is hard uh, to have a good imagination. It is hard to look through all of the things, the anger and despair and the hopelessness and the fear, brokenness in, in body and mind, or we confess that we have a hard time seeing past those things uh, and we need a better imagination. Or we come to you uh, really barren ourselves. And then, well, in, in the place of others who are our friends who are broken and barren as well, and we ask that you would that you would move in and among us during this season of Advent of, of waiting and hopeful expectation. Open our eyes so that we might see how we can work in your world, participating with you for its goodness and its flourishing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.